The reading this morning will be from Luke 12, 32-34. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that, you will, that they will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes in to, or moss will destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Good morning. 2020. Can you believe it? 2020. I remember when I was a kid, I wondered if I would live to the year 2000. Well, when you were a kid, like, you know, I would have, that would make me 48. So, you know, it was like... Uh, that's old, 48, you know, so when you're a little kid, and here it is, 2020, it's just so hard to believe that a year, uh, another year's gone by, and a year ahead of us, and no telling what the Lord may have in store for us this year, and uh, just look forward to where the Lord, where the Lord's going to be leading us. Normally, the first Sunday of the year, there are new banners up on the wall, there's a new theme, there's a new sermon series, and you'll notice there isn't. And uh, that isn't because we don't have a new theme and we don't have a preaching theme for the year. We do. It's just that we're keeping it under wraps until our first week in what we like to now call our interim facility. And uh, we'll be kicking it off then. We'll keep you uh, updated with, uh, with that. Um, and so for the next few weeks, we'll be talking about some other things. Um, today, I want to just talk about some things that are on my heart that have come out of Tim's class on the book of James, uh, a subject that's come up in that class over and over again. And uh, so if you don't particularly care for this lesson, I would really like to ask you to take it up with Tim and he, uh, or with James, better yet, right? Uh, but uh, I think I first saw real poverty. As a teenager in Baja, California, going down on some mission trips, my friend John Toomey, uh, standing by someone's home. Uh, but the poverty that I saw there did not prepare me for the poverty that I saw when I visited India in the mid-80s with World Bible School. Because their poverty was just pervasive. It was everywhere that you were looked. I remember at nighttime seeing tens of thousands of people, literally in the city, tens of thousands of people living on the street, people who never lived indoors, people who lived on the street. That's where they lived, that's where they worked, that's where they slept. It was just poverty everywhere that you looked. There were uh, rivers and some of the towns that we went through were streams. And if you had found a, any kind of body of water, you would find cattle in it being washed off. You would find people bathing. You would find folks doing laundry. You would find women going down and getting water and taking it home to do whatever needed to be done at their home. And you just said, how do people survive in this kind of a situation? Walking down the streets in the major cities in India uh, for the first time, and I think probably the only time in my life, I saw lepers. People with leprosy. People who were missing limbs because of that terrible disease. And there were crippled people that could not move on their own. They had such difficult times. There were people who were lame and blind. And there were beggars everywhere that you looked. There was just so much poverty. And I know I'm certainly not an expert on India and on its 
belief system or so forth, but it seemed to me that the source of poverty on such, at least partially in India, was its idolatry. The spiritual darkness of that country because of their worship of false gods, of people living in spiritual darkness and being deceived and being oppressed by things that are not true. And it's interesting that the world view and the, the major religion of India does nothing, has no reason to help the poor or the suffering or the hurting, which is such a contrast to the Christian faith as we'll see today. There are a lot of causes for poverty in the world. Sometimes it may be idolatry and people who live in spiritual darkness and reap those consequences. Sometimes it's just a... it's. Corruption on a national level that keeps money and sometimes foreign aid from getting down to the people who are truly poor. Sometimes a country can just go through an economic downturn and the poor are hit the hardest. Sometimes people are poor because they're refugees or because they are orphans or widows. People come into poverty in a lot of different ways. But one of the things that we find out in Scripture is God's concern for the poor, regardless of their situation, or perhaps the reason that brought it about. Tim pointed us to the mission statement of Jesus in Luke 4, where he stands in the synagogue and, re- and reads from Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And he goes on to say, freedom to prisoners, the recovery of sight to the blind, release and liberty to the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's jubilee. That's starting over. That's wiping the slate clean. And Jesus certainly came to do that. The coming of the kingdom of God in Jesus and in His ministry and eventually in and through the church as it becomes the visible manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth is not just, and that's a pretty big just, but to get our sins forgiven. Of course it's about the forgiveness of sins. That's at the heart of it. And eternal life. But the coming of the kingdom of God to earth was a way for people to come under the reign of God here and now and begin to experience and enjoy the blessings that God provides in His community and in His family. You can certainly see that in the ministry of Jesus as He heals, as He exalts the poor. So many of the things Jesus does, and we say, well, of course that showed His deity. Well, it did, of course, show His deity. But it also showed the inbreaking of the kingdom of God and God reigning in people's lives and how God wants people to live abundantly. And it's just a way of pushing back. The coming of Jesus pushes back against the fall of creation, against the fallenness of sin in, 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 in humanity, and shows this is how coming under the reign of God. God cares for people. God blesses people. And that's part of the salvation that we have in Christ. It's interesting that as soon as as salvation is proclaimed in the name of Jesus in Acts chapter 2, one of the first things we see happening is the church taking care of the poor. Selling their possessions and giving it to the poor. Taking care of the widows. It's just a part of the advancement of the kingdom. And if you know a little bit about history from the first and second centuries and on, you know it's the church that was known for hospitality, for showing 
concern to strangers and travelers in those early years. It was the church who, who essentially, in the early days, brought about hospitals and education to lift up those that were oppressed, to lift up the fallen, to help the weak, to heal those that were sick. Because that was just part of being in the kingdom of God, is you want to bring the blessing of God and the healing of God to people's lives. Yes, the forgiveness of their sins and the hope of eternal life, but to even begin enjoying that abundant life now. And at times, though we may be very focused on the need to proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection as the good news of Jesus Christ, we may at times forget to reflect God's other concerns in the proclamation of the gospel, which is for the poor and the alien and the widow and the orphan and the person who is in need. Jesus came to address every aspect of fallen creation. Yes, Jesus comes to forgive us of our sins, but Jesus comes to make us whole, to bring us under the reign of God, the kingdom of God, and to make us whole. And in an amazing way in the kingdom on earth, here and now, that happens to people's lives when they come under the reign of God. That abundant life begins now. And of course is perfected in eternity. God has such concern for the poor. Psalm 140, verse 12, I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. Psalm 10, 17, O Lord, You hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline Your ear to do justice to the fatherless and to the oppressed. Luke 6.20, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And Jesus' half-brother James writes in James chapter 2, verse 5, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. I think it's sometimes hard for us to process these thoughts about the poor, the exaltation of the poor, the favored place of the poor, because we happen to live at a time and in a culture that is certainly not one that encourages poverty. We do not want to be poor. Nobody wants to be poor. You want to escape poverty. You want to have everything you need. Everything in our particular surroundings, in our Western world, and in a rather secular worldview, drives us to be free from the effects of poverty. We have values like independence and self-reliance and, and the need to procure for ourselves money and possessions that make our life comfortable. And, and, and it shows a certain level of respect from our peers and, 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 and brings that about and gives us a certain, uh, a certain control over our future and our security with our retirement and with our money and all of the things that are laid out. And, and the last thing that we would think about is some, some blessing about being poor, somehow how, how being poor is tied to the kingdom of God. And I think because of the way that we, where we are, um, and that it, cre- it can create, if we're not careful, almost a disdain for the poor. 
But we look down on the poor. Well, the poor, I wouldn't be in that condition. I wouldn't be in that situation. Why? Because I work hard. Because I'm an intelligent person. Because, you know, I'm not lazy. And I'm not ignorant. And I wouldn't find myself being a person in poverty. And we can have an attitude uh, toward people who are poor that we feel not very responsible at all people around here are poor, well, then they just need to get a job and get to work and, and get something to happen. Those people in foreign countries, I mean, what can I do about that? I mean, they got their own problems over there, and they're sure far away from me, and they're not in my front. I mean, I'll just take care of the people close to me. And I'm not saying we're harsh against the poor. I'm just, I'm saying this today and encourage us. I've been so encouraged by how often in the class on James, this subject has come up. Because sometimes I think we just don't look all that closely. But God calls us to have compassion for the poor, as He does. Deuteronomy 26.12 When you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, you shall give it to the Levite, alien, fatherless, and widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Leviticus 19.9 When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. For I am the Lord your God. Don't get every last thing you can. Leave it. Give it to people who are in need. In Isaiah 58, 6, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor, with the poor wanderer with shelter and when you see the naked to clothe him? John the Baptist, in preparing the way for the coming of the kingdom, said in Luke 3.11, The man who has two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. And then, just in case it wasn't clear, Jesus comes along and does what no one else does, the way he can just lay us open with his words. Oh, Luke chapter 12.32 Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Isn't that awesome? God has been pleased to give you the kingdom. We have received the kingdom of God. What a blessing. How awesome is that? And then the very next words. You've received the kingdom of God. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. I didn't see that one coming. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. And the message is pretty simple. In all of these passages and throughout Old and New Covenants, God says, take care of the poor. Look out for the alien. Watch out for the orphan and the widow. Care care for these people. And it's consistent because it's rooted in the nature of God. It's rooted in the heart of God. And God's heart for those who are truly needy. I tell you, I hear those words of Jesus. I'm sorry to pass this on to you, but I've got to share this a little bit. How many times in my life 
Have I sold my possessions purely to give the money to the poor? And yet that's what Jesus tells me to do. And in that very same passage, he gives us the blessings that come to such a life and to such a heart. There in Luke chapter 12, what does he say? If you do this, what's going to happen? You'll get purses that, that, uh, uh, purses that don't wear out. He's not promising wealth there. He's just saying, look, you care for the people who need help, who can't care for themselves, and you'll be cared for. God will take care of you. You'll have something in your purse, not just for yourself, but you'll have something to give to someone else. And he says, in that same passage, you'll have treasure in heaven. Back to Isaiah 58, when God's telling Israel to care for the poor, He tells them what will happen if they do. If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. God will care for you, He tells Israel. If you give to the hungry and help those that are needy. And Jesus in Luke 14, 13, doesn't he just have a way of saying things that when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they can't repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. I'm real good at taking care of myself and taking care of the people that are close to me, but Jesus says you need to have a broader vision than that. And it's not like they're going to invite you over for dinner and take care of your needs, but it's you are going to be blessed by God and... You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. God will bless you for this. Abundant life now and eternal life is promised for those who share this heart of God and concern for the poor. And Jesus is asking us to go beyond, I I think, what we're used to and what we're comfortable doing in giving things away and not expecting to get anything back. We live in a world, our, our world says, hold on to everything you've got because you've worked hard for it and you deserve it and get more. And Jesus says, I want you to let go. I want you to give it away. Don't be so tight-fisted. Don't hold on to those things. And it just goes against our nature, our truly our fallen nature. And so what happens, I think, at times with us, with me, I should say, if it falls on you, you can, you can take it on as well, but it's like we, we rationalize, we excuse, we find, we find ways to somehow make it a little easier on ourselves when it comes to those who are poor. And one of the things I can do is I can tell you about the time I got conned by somebody that I helped, or I can tell you about somebody that I met one day who just totally makes an abuse of the welfare system and is richer than everybody else, and then I can just paint all the poor with that brush and be relieved of, of helping anybody who's poor. Or I can focus on the homeless issue. 
We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in class. The thing about the homeless issue is it's a very complex issue. It has to do with drug use. It has to do with lifestyle choices that are made. It has to do with mental illness. It is not a simple, easy problem that anyone can imagine uh, that can manage that. And today, can we just take that off the table for a moment? Because what happens is we, we raise homelessness as if that's what poverty is all about. And then we, we look at all poverty through that, through that lens of, of homelessness and say, well, there's no, I'm not going to enable people just to keep on doing that. And we, we fail to see the people who are truly needy and poor. So let's take homelessness. We'll talk about that on another occasion. Let's just take that off of the table right now and consider what God calls us to do to the alien, the orphan, the widow, the oppressed, the sick, and the poor. Because He calls for us to remember them and to help them. We've all seen this, if you've been in the church very long at all, and maybe you don't see it, the nuts and bolts of it, but it's sure been very apparent to me, uh, certainly, certainly in this congregation over the last... 20-some years that I've been a part of the body here. There are times when members of our own family run into great difficulties. There can be long-term unemployment. There can be people who ought to be receiving perhaps some kind of aid from the state because of their, their condition, but they fall through the cracks and all of the bureaucracies and they don't get what they need even to survive. There can be all sorts of situations. People who are going through difficult times in their life and don't have everything that they need. And how many times have I seen when that's become aware to this church family, Thousands upon thousands of dollars have been shared with members of this body over the last years. Money that you give on Sunday morning, money that we've just given through the years, so much of that money, much of, a lot of that money has been given to people within this body who are hurting, who have a need. Sometimes it's a short-term need, sometimes it's a little bit longer. And, and, of course, those things aren't broadcast because th- those things, they, they, that's not their nature to do that. But it's money distributed by the elders on behalf of the congregation here, making the wisest use of the funds that we have. But it goes beyond that. It goes beyond that kind of giving to the kind of thing that happens among ourselves. How people will give, get somebody a job, who people will find somebody work to do or give them work to do or open up their homes so that they can stay with them. Or give possessions to a brother or sister who needs something. To just give it to them. And that happens all the time. And I think, I think when it comes to taking care of one another in this way, as we know about those things, we don't always know, but as we know about this, the, the congregation here has, has been... It's just been truly responsive. And I think of how, how we see this in the Scriptures. It's so important. That, and, and what's happening there? It's we're sharing life in the kingdom of God. And sharing life in the kingdom of God means we reach out to each other and care for people who are in need. 
Because that's the nature of God's kingdom, that people are blessed and people are cared for. This is the preaching of good news to the poor. This is sharing the things that we have. It's bringing the kingdom. It's like saying, here in this group of people, we're going to do everything our best to live in the community and and just push the darkness and the fallenness of this world as far away and live under the reign of God and enjoy the abundance and blessings that come from living in His kingdom. But in the very beginning of the church, what happens in Acts 2? You already know this. But I'll tell you, just as a way of reminder, in Acts chapter 2, verse 44, just after the first are baptized, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And in chapter 4, Verse 32, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. What do you call a world where there are no needy people? (laughs) That's the kingdom of heaven. That's the kingdom of God. That's God's people dealing with one another and sharing the resources and blessings of God that He's given to all within that so that there is no one needy. Some going even to the extent of selling their property because their brothers are in need and to help them. We see this spirit throughout the New Testament. Do you realize that almost every scripture that we ever read, well, it's certainly about any church contribution, all those passages in First and Second Corinthians that are dear to us, that they're all talking about special contributions for the poor. That wasn't about the church budget in First Corinthians 16 or Second Corinthians 8 and 9. These churches all over the Gentile world at the, uh, with the organi- organizing force of the Apostle Paul were collecting money for the poor. That's what those contributions were for. And this whole thing with Jew and Gentile in the early days of the church and Peter going to the, the Jews and Paul going over to the Gentiles, you know, how, you know all the things that are involved in getting that straight, all of the attitudes, all of the different things that came up for discussion. When Paul tells a kind of a, a shortened version of the story in Galatians chapter 2, verse 10, when, they, when, they, when, when it's decided that, of course, Peter will go to the Jews and Paul will go to the Gentiles, do you know what the Jews said to Paul and Barnabas as they went out into the Gentile world? Only this. Remember the poor. Paul said, that's the very thing I was eager to do. Do you see what a high value this is? As, as Peter and Paul are, are going one to the Jew and one to the Gentile, the Jewish brothers are just saying with their rich heritage of caring for the poor and knowing the heart of God, they're saying to those going to the Gentiles, you make sure... I mean, think of all of the things they could have pointed to. All of the things that they needed to do right. You make sure you remember the poor. He said, only they ask this of us, that we remember the poor. That was the very thing I was eager to do. And Paul spends a great deal of time in his ministry remembering the poor and gathering funds for the poor. The church, like Jesus, preaches good news to the poor. Recovery of sight to the blind. 
liberty to those that are captive. The church, in our proclaiming Christ, in our existence and fellowship, essentially are bringing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven here in in that fellowship of salvation. I was thinking this last week as I was working on this lesson of someone in our past that just so, to me, perfectly illustrates what I'm talking about in case you're not getting where I'm coming from. Many of you will remember a brother in Christ by the name of uh, Cesar. Caesar, Cesar. You remember him? He came on a Wednesday night. Uh, I don't even remember where he came from. He just showed up on a Wednesday night and he came to our meals. And we got to know him. Uh, and during the course of the time that he spent with us, we, we got to know his life. And he was, uh, he was taught and he was baptized into Christ. We found out that his family was far away. His family lived in Central America. He wasn't able to, to, to get back with them. And at the same time, you may recall that Cesar was developing cataracts that were so bad, he was just almost legally blind. This congregation, or some in it, purchased an airplane ticket so that Cesar could go back to his family in Central America, contacted the church there, contacted people who were going over in medical missions, and set up an operation for Cesar, whose cataracts were removed and whose sight was returned. That's what I'm talking about. That's preaching good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, and setting the captives free. We're not just talking about making somebody's life better. We're talking about Jesus Christ saving them for all eternity and the community of the kingdom of heaven working together to bring the abundant life of the kingdom to that person even now. That's the... The kingdom of heaven, and I wish we had more time for this, maybe later. The kingdom of heaven is not just about going there. Now that's, I mean, obviously, that's the ultimate, isn't it? But it's also about proclaiming Christ that as best it can in a fallen world, the reign of God can come here. And people can be changed now. Eternal life, yes but an abundant spiritual life. Now, it doesn't mean every poor person is going to become wealthy. It just means in the kingdom that we care for one another and we share in these ways. And sometimes when, the, when it's in the church, it's, it's easier to do, right? Because people in the church are like me. And so it's easier for me to share with people and to sacrifice for people in the church. But people in the world sometimes are not like me. It takes me back to that parable Jesus tells, not just a parable, but that teaching in Luke 14 about who you invite over for dinner. The people Jesus told me to invite over for dinner are not like me. And that's the point. They're not like me. They're not people I'm going to be naturally going out to. They're not people that are going to be maybe living in my neighborhood. They're not like me at all. But Jesus calls me to reach out to them. And sometimes when we don't know people, we judge people. We remain aloof from people and may even feel justified holding on to our resources. And especially that's true when people are so far away. 
the nameless masses in all of the strange places around the globe. Does God really expect you and me to do anything about that? I mean, honestly? I mean, we know in our minds that there are people today who will starve to death. There'll be people today, every day, who die from malnutrition. Every day, every week, there are thousands of children. Thousands of children who die from preventable disease. Every week. Every week after week after week. There are countless people who are ill today because they don't have clean water supply. And we know that intellectually. We know that that's true. But I think we sometimes think, well, what can I do about that? What do you expect me to do about that? To provide wells for every single village on the face of the earth? To feed every hungry person? To invite all of the Syrian refugees into my house? I mean, really, what, can I go to Venezuela and, and get the economy back on its feet so that the poor aren't starving there? Can I go to El Salvador and get the gangs off the street so that business can flourish and the poor folks there can, can find work to do? I mean, can, can I go to Kenya and put, a, a, you know, put in a well in every village that doesn't have clean water or go to India and do the same. It's like, well, there's no way that we can do anything about that. But the point is, we can do something about it. We can do something about it. My question, as I sat through that class, and isn't just... Isn't it just amazing how God just gets into you, Word and the Holy Spirit working in your heart? I'm only preaching this because of class. (laughs) But I thought, how often do I think about the poor? We are so insulated from true poverty. We look at poverty around us or we think of the homeless person on the street. We are insulated from the true poverty that is so pervasive in the nations of the world. We don't see it. We don't live in the midst of it. We've never experienced anything like it. And it's easy just to be cut off from it and not, why think about that? Why think about something that's just going to break your heart and drive you crazy because you're powerless to do anything about it? And I think, do I connect evangelism with the kind of ministry and good works that also brings with it a blessing to the people who, as they're hearing the gospel. Do I think that way? Do I think in this, th- th- see the gospel as, as something bigger, as something that makes even a greater impact, that, in, that impacts all of life? Do I share God's heart? And I came across this. Someone who had uh, kind of redone Matthew 25. You'll, you'll, know, you'll know what I'm talking about when I start to read it. For I was hungry while you had all you needed. I was thirsty and you drank bottled water. I was a stranger and you wanted me deported. I needed clothes, but you needed more clothes. I was sick and you pointed out the behaviors that led to my sickness. I was in prison 
And you said I was getting what I deserved. The answer is not to stand on the street corner and hand out money. The answer is to pray for spiritual wisdom and discernment. To know how we as a church and you as an individual and I as an individual can make the best use of our resources that will reflect in the way we spend our money and resources the heart of God for people who are in need. The coming of the kingdom is about forgiveness and salvation. But it's also about the blessings of living here and now under the reign of God and in a community that cares for the poor. And so as a church, I know we'll be continuing the things that we've done for years here. Some of the works that have been going on the longest here are pointed at the orphans, at the poor. Manuelito Navajo Children's Home, City of Children. We continue to do that. And what's happening? What's happening in those places? Well, kids who don't have a place to live are, are given a good place to live. They're given an education. They're given food. They're given clothes. And they're given the word of the living God. Because it isn't just about being benevolent. It's about being benevolent in the name of Jesus Christ and for the sake of the kingdom of God and the God who calls us to be this way, that the glory would go to Him, that lives would be changed because of Him. Personally, I want to encourage you to look for ways to help others in the name of Jesus Christ and in connection to the advancement of the kingdom of heaven. And there are so many ways. I just thought of this this last week because it's something my family is doing. Katie and David have just been certified for foster care. They heard a presentation in Woodward, Oklahoma about how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children in Oklahoma don't have a home to live in because of things that are going on in the lives of their parents. I'm proud of them for that. Somebody's going to have a home. And while they're in their home, they'll hear about the Lord, that's for sure. But there's so many things that we can do. We're blessed in the church because we have brothers and sisters who share these same concerns, who, who've organized themselves in a way that we can help. Healing Hands International or Church of Christ Disaster Relief. We as congregation, we've sent money from our own church treasure, our own contributions to them to help in a variety of things around the world, where there's disaster or where there's need. This is something that we can always do as individuals. Uh, I've talked to you before about Manos de Esperanza, the nonprofit that my brother-in-law uh, has set up in El Salvador, working with churches of Christ in El Salvador, with faithful members of the body of Christ, helping their children go to school, giving just a little bit of food every month to the family so the kids don't have to work on the farm and they can go to school. And now they've had... They've had... I don't know, the last 25 years or so, all of these kids who have been able to go through school and be educated and be lifted up. The little boy that we've been involved, I say he's, he's not so little anymore, he's starting into pre-med now. Raising up within the body of Christ in El Salvador, men and women who are lifted up 
financially and economically to bless the church and to continue the work of the church. There's so many things it can do. There's always something going on in Comorock or people that we know there in Nairobi. And I don't know if you know about Brandon or not, but Brandon's been involved with Christians for Kenya for a long time. And they, they, put, they put wells in villages and they, uh, they put roofs on church buildings. Talk to Brandon if that's something that, that, that would, is something that resonates with you. And you're thinking, well, yeah, I can I take 20% of my contribution and give it to Christians for Kenya or give it to Richard to pass along to someone or give it to you. Let me challenge you not to do that, but to do this. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. That's what Jesus said to do. Is that just like a saying? Is that like a metaphor? I don't think so. How much junk do we have? How much stuff do we have? How many storage bins do we have? How many garages are bursting at the seams? It doesn't have to be the leftover stuff. It can be things of great value that we sell and give to the poor. That's not our go-to, is it? Jesus really calls us to think differently. I would just encourage you today, as this year begins, as you're considering your life, your blessing in the kingdom, spiritually and physically, that each one of us would really stop and consider what we might be able to do. First, that church leadership will be thinking that way, but also that each of us individually will be thinking that way. What can we do? Where can God work through us and give us purses that won't wear out and treasure in heaven that moth will not destroy? We get so concerned with the treasure that moth and rust will destroy. But let's lay up treasure in heaven. There's a little girl in West Texas in the 1930s in the midst of the Depression who lived with her mom and dad and her two brothers and sister in a two-room house. The little girl's dad had been sick for quite some time and had not been able to work in the fields. He was a hired hand in the fields, the cotton fields. And the family was in a bad way. Christmas was approaching. There was essentially no food in the house, essentially. There were not going to be any presents, that's for sure. And the money was gone. One night after dark, there was a knock on the door, and the little girl's mother went to the door and opened it up, and standing on the porch outside the house were people that they didn't know. They were strangers, a group of these people standing on the porch. They said, we heard that your family was in need. They came in. They were from Little Church of Christ out there in West Texas. The family was not from the Churches of Christ. At least the mother wasn't. They weren't going to the Church of Christ at that time. But this church had heard about them. And so they brought in clothes. They brought in one present for each of the kids. They brought in food. And when they left that night, that family had more money than they had had in months. And the little girl was my mom. 
through that act of blessing, coupled with the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God came upon my family. That's how it happened. The kingdom of God had come to earth in that little two-room house in West Texas. That's the gospel. The gospel that loves people and cares about people. Yes, and preaches Christ crucified and the blood of Christ for the remission of sins. Lifts up the fallen who helps the weak, who's concerned about the truly needy. And I pray that we will be that kind of people and bring the kingdom of God to our world. If you're not a part of that kingdom, it's Jesus who preaches good news to you. And you may have all the money that you need, but Jesus will bring you out of spiritual poverty. And you may think, I've never been in jail in my life, but Jesus will set you free from the bondage to sin. And he'll bring you under the reign of God and bless your life in ways you've never imagined. We call you to him. Carry out his mission. Let's stand together as we sing.